So Acts, or rather, Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to read from verse 13 of the portion of Scripture. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give it unto thee, I will give unto thee the, key, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offence unto me, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory with his, uh, of his Father, with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts. Can we unite at the throne of grace in prayer afresh, please? Our loving God and our gracious Father, as we uh, come into thy presence, as we continue before thee today, we thank thee that we are able uh, to learn from these characters that there are in the Word of God. We thank thee for the truth or the honesty uh, with which the Scriptures reveal to us uh, uh, these characters, Lord, we can identify with them. And we pray, Lord, that even today, as we look at Peter, and no doubt we can identify with him afresh, Lord, that thou wouldst teach us from thy word and bless it to our souls. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, last week uh, we looked at the Apostle Peter and we said that this was Peter on the rise. And the beginning of his rise, as it were, 
was when he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. What a day it was when his brother Andrew pointed him to the Lord Jesus and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which has been interpreted the Christ. And we think of many red-letter days in our lives. We think of maybe the day when we were born, the day maybe when we were married. But for those of us that are saved, what a mighty red-letter day it was when we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we thought about Peter then following Christ And then we thought of that great declaration that he made of steadfastness to Christ. Um, When the others were going away, the Lord said to his disciples, Will ye also go away? And Peter said, To whom shall we go? For thou hast the words of eternal life. And we think of Peter. He's a man who was destined to uh, have the keys of the kingdom in the sense that he was the first to preach in the New Testament, or the uh, church era, the New Testament era of the church, uh, he was the first to preach to the Jews, and then later on he is the first to preach to the Gentiles. So he is in many ways given the keys, but we also know about him that he's an impetuous character. He's very bold, he is very courageous, and he is a man who is willing to do something. He's a a man of action in many ways. But because of that characteristic, in many ways, he gets himself into trouble. And he does things that he shouldn't do and says things that he shouldn't say. And we said last week that the Bible is not in any way idolizing its heroes. It uh, tells us the truth about them. And in many ways, that's the point, because Uh, Each one of us can identify with these men. They're not so high above us that that they don't make mistakes. They are human, like we are. And like us, they make mistakes, and they do things. And there are many faults and feelings. And the Bible doesn't cover over the faults and feelings. And we're going to look at Peter today, and we're going to look at Peter on the retreat. Because having come to the... uh, heights and there's another step in the heights here that we've just read about how he declares uh, of the Lord Jesus thou art the Christ uh, the son of the living God but immediately it seems as if Peter begins on a road backward he begins on a backsliding path and as we look at Peter again we can identify him with him because how many of us I have not gone in a backsliding path at some time or another. We have retreated. We have failed the Lord on so many occasions. And it is good just then. It's an encouragement, maybe an encouragement that we shouldn't have, but an encouragement to learn that there are others that have gone the same way. And yet God is able to use them in the end. But today what we're going to do is we're going to look at Peter on the retreat. And we're going to look at the steps down of this man. We looked at the steps up last week, and we're going to look at the steps down as he goes on a downward path today. And maybe I'm speaking to someone, and you're on a downward trajectory. You're on a downward path, and you're not what you once were, and you're not uh, adhering to the Lord 
as you once did. Well, we need to come and challenge ourselves as we look at this man and as we see what the Bible reveals about him. And as we look at Peter on the path down, on the retreat here, there are a number of steps that I want you to see. And the first step down is when Peter challenges the truth, when Peter, as it were, tries to contradict the truth. Now, we have read about him here in Matthew chapter 16, and we read about his great declaration here. And one of the things that surprises us is the background of the challenge. Look at the challenge, first of all. It, it says about the Lord, if you look at Matthew chapter 16 and verse 22 there, he, it says, then Peter took him, that's the Lord. Uh, the Lord has just began to speak about his death on the cross. And it says, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And you notice the reaction of the Lord in verse 23. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offence unto me, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So there he is, and he has definitely said something that he shouldn't have said. And he's done something that he shouldn't have done. But I want you to think about the background of this challenge as he contradicts the Lord and challenges the Lord and what he said. You will see there that it is in a background in which Peter has just been commended. You think about the uh, uh, story there, how that the Lord had um, asked the disciples, whom do men say that I am? They said, some people say you're Elias. Some people think you're John the Baptist or Jeremiah the prophet. And then he said, but whom say ye that I am? And you think about this great declaration of Peter. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he gets a commendation. If you look at verses 17 to 19, and Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou art uh, Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So in many ways, this is the height for Peter. This is the uh, pinnacle of the path upward. What a tremendous understanding he had been given of who the Lord Jesus was. Now, we're used uh, to speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. But it wasn't something that was uh, really understood by many in the day when Simon Peter said these words. And so there is this tremendous understanding he has of who the Lord Jesus is, about what it is that the Messiah is, and the one who has come, and my, here he is. And he makes this tremendous declaration. He's commended by the Lord. The Lord gives him this wonderful commendation that he's going to have the keys of the kingdom. And upon the rock of what he's just said, Peter's the rock, he is Cephas, but upon the bedrock, 
And it's a different word for rock. Upon the bedrock of his declaration that he is the Christ, God, the Lord said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But here, he's just made this declaration, got this commendation, and immediately he turns round and contradicts the Lord. Contradicts what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying about the cross. And we'll think about that in a minute, but I want you to see that we should never take it for granted that we've arrived. We should never think, well, you know, I'm standing for God and I am in the middle of the work of God and I'm um, an elder or a minister or a, a deacon in the church or I'm a Sunday school teacher or a children's worker in the church and I am going to the prayer meeting and I'm seeking to stand for God. You remember what Paul said, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And you know, when we're at the height, it's just when the devil comes to tempt us. When we are uh, in a place where we have been serving the Lord and where we have been standing for God, and maybe we've done it for many years, but we should never take it for granted. We always need to be on the alert. We need to be clad in the armor of God because at any time we might get the attack. And as I was saying to the students um, we're doing a, a Bible study on the armor, on part of the armor, and uh, where it says uh, the word in, in the Greek is uh, to endue yourself or put on the whole armor of God. And it's an tense in the Greek, which means to put it on once. Part of the armor you only put on once. There are parts of the armor that you take, uh, but there are parts of the armor that you have. Because we need to always be ready for the attack that the devil makes against us. So we notice the background of the challenge just after he had this great commendation. But look also at the basis of the challenge. The Lord called Peter Satan here. He said in verse 23, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offence unto me, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And the reason why the Lord is saying to Peter, called him Satan, was that the words that he had just uttered were satanically inspired. They were satanically inspired. And it was always the desire of the devil. You remember in the temptation and in all of the ways, the devil wanted to divert the Lord Jesus away from the cross. And Peter is coming here in his words, he doesn't mean any harm for it. The original really says, pity, Lord. Pity yourself, Lord. Don't be going this way, Lord. And here he is, and it is these words are satanically inspired. And that lets us to believe something and see something. That the devil can put things in the minds of God's people. Now, he can't... He can't he can't, uh, he can't uh, possess us, but he can uh, come and put things in the minds of God's people, and particularly those who are in the middle of the work. Why does the devil come and put things in the mind of Peter? Because he knows that Peter, or that uh, Peter has the ear of Christ. So he's not going to... 
the, the, the devil is not stupid. He's, he's not going to use somebody that had never been near the Lord or wasn't in the midst of the work of the Lord, but he's going to use somebody that was there in the midst of the work, somebody that was going to be listened to. And the devil's real and the devil's not stupid and the devil comes and particularly those of us that are in the midst of the work of God, those are the ones that he's likely to attack. Those are the ones, if you're in the middle of the work of God, if God is using you, then it is likely that you are one that the devil will want to attack and he wants to use your influence for bad. So that's why we need to be on the guard against the devil. But look also, not only the basis of the challenge here, we see that it's satanically inspired, but look at the blasphemy of the challenge. Because what is he challenging? The cross. He's challenging the cross and the resurrection. The Lord Jesus had just said in verse 21, if you read it, he had made reference to the cross that he, would, he must suffer in Jerusalem and that he must be killed and that he's raised again. So the Lord Jesus is just talking about the cross and the resurrection and that's what the devil hates. That's what the devil attacks. If you go uh, to a um, so-called ministry or you begin to hear about a so-called ministry and the cross is something that is devalued, the resurrection is something that is devalued, the message of the gospel in which the Lord Jesus Christ uh, died on the cross of Calvary and suffered and bled and died, if that message has been undermined, if it's a message that rather puts its emphasis upon man and upon what God can do for you and all the rest of it, God can do many things for you, but that's not the emphasis. The em Paul said, we preach Christ and him crucified. That's what the devil wants to attack. That's what the devil's still attacking in this day. You think of the liberal churches and the messages, uh, uh, an emphasis upon man and man's doctrine and the fashions and the fads of this day. But we think of what Paul said when he wrote to the Colossians in Colossians 1 and 20 about the Lord Jesus. He spoke about the centrality of the cross and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And that's the fundamental thing. I'm not going to finish this message, I don't think. Maybe finish the first point. And we'll use the game. Um, but anyway, we're going to, we see the uh, blasphemy of the challenge. And it is always pointing to the Lord Jesus. Or it's always pointing to the cross. And when we get an attack upon the cross, that is something that is fundamental that we see here. And dear friends, we need... Uh, to always uplift the cross, uplift the Savior, uplift what our Savior has done there on the center cross of Calvary. But you see the challenge or the contradiction that Peter makes against the Lord Jesus Christ here has to do with the cross. And that's why 
The Lord calls him Satan. That, that, you see what the Lord says about him here? He says that he's, offend, he's an offense. That he says in verse 23, Thou art an offense unto me. And the Lord doesn't mince his words here. He's just commended Peter. He just, as it were, given Peter a special place in the kingdom in that he's going to introduce the message to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And yet he says, Thou art an offense. Oh, may we never become an offense to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the blasphemy of the challenge. But also, I want you to see the baseness of the challenge. The, here he is, and he is rebuking the Lord. He takes upon him to rebuke the Lord. And he says, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. So here's a man who thinks he can correct the Lord. I, um, I, usually when I'm going out for a walk in the morning, I pray and then I will listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones usually. But I was listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones um, during the week there and um, he was speaking about uh, something along these lines here, but he was speaking about the fact about a man and he didn't name the man, but obviously uh, I think it was um, a Church of England uh, minister or vicar who had uh, said that when he gets to heaven, he would go and speak to the Apostle Paul and put him right on a few things. What, what arrogance! What arrogance! That he could think that he would go and speak to the Apostle Paul. Now, Peter isn't doing, he's not doing it in the arrogant way that that man did it. But you know, there are those who think that they can correct the Lord. And we are no better than that. Because how many times do we think, well, Lord, what are you doing? Lord, why, why are you doing this in my life? Or why, why are you doing that in my life? Or why are you doing this or that in our family's life? And we think, well, we could do it better and that we could do it in another way. And here was Peter, and he thought that the suffering on the cross was unnecessary. And he comes with this, this base challenge to the Lord. And he's really saying, Lord, Lord, I know better. We can do it a better way. We can do it without the suffering. We can do it without the bloodshedding. We can do it in another way. And of course, there are many today who do not believe in the penal substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. They, say, well, they sort of say, well, his death was a mistake. He could have done it another way. He was just there making an example for us. But we think of how the penal substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross is absolutely fundamental. It is the very basis of the gospel. So here's a man who is contradicting the Lord Jesus Christ and contradicting the very centrality of the gospel. We see the baseness of his challenge. And we shouldn't ever think that we can challenge the Lord. We come in that humility and we say, Lord, as thou wilt, as thou wilt, we, we will do what you want us to do. We're going to follow what you want us to follow. But also something else here, and that is the breakdown of the challenge. You'll notice 
how the challenge ended. The Lord said to Peter, Thou art an offense unto me. The word offense is a word, is actually a translator reaction from the Greek. It's the Greek word which, from which we get our word scandal or scandalous. And it means a scandal. You're a scandal to me. It is also a word that means a stumbling block. You're causing a stumbling block. You are scandal and you're causing a stumbling block. And that's what Peter did. He got himself into a position where he was causing a scandal, where he was drawing attention to himself and he was becoming a scandal in the face of the other disciples and he was becoming a stumbling block because he was undermining the message of the gospel, the truth of the gospel of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, may we never get ourselves into a place where we become a stumbling block, where maybe from good motives, in, in a sense, in, in the fact that we want to really reach people or that we want to do some good to people, that we become a scandal, a stumbling block, that we really undermine the message that we come to preach. We can undermine the message that we come to preach by our lives, by our attitudes, by the way that we do things or say things. We can become uh, a scandal, a stumbling block to the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice Peter gets himself into that position by challenging and questioning the truth. And when we come to the place where we begin to challenge and question the truth, where we, become, we come to the point where we contradict the truth, God's truth stands. The Bible stands like a rock undaunted mid the raging storms of time. And there may be many things in the Bible that puzzle us. Many, many things that we can't understand. And, and there are things that I can't understand. I, I can never, I, and I don't think anybody can explain to you the um, tension between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. It's, all, it's been described as two parallel lines that meet on the horizon somewhere, but they never really do meet as far as our logic is concerned. But we remember that we have a finite mind. The mind of God is far above what we can think or say or know. And there are things that we can't understand, but never come to the point where we contradict what God has said, because that is the road to backsliding. That's the first step down when we, in our minds, begin to question the Word of God. How do we value the Word of God today? Is it our rule of faith and practice? Is it the thing that we go by day by day? Is it the thing that rules our lives? Are we obedient to what God has to say in his word? Oh, that we might be obedient to the Lord today. We were going to look at the steps down. We've got one step so far, and we're going to have to close it there. But we pray that even God would take his word and write it upon our hearts, and that we might not even take the first step 
on the road to retreat. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts today. And Lord, we think of Peter on this first step down, just after such a mighty declaration, after a time of blessing. Lord, how he begins to fade, how he begins to question. And O oh God, we pray that we might not be questioners of God, but we might be obeyers of God. Bless thy word and be with us now, we pray of thee, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Perhaps we could um, they sing uh, the hymn, is that 232? It was not 232, say to me, 232. The hymn 232, O Center of the Sea. No, it couldn't be it. Is that what it is? Okay, well, we'll sing. O Center of the Savior is calling for thee. Long, long has he called thee in vain. He called thee when joy lent its crown to thy days. He called thee in sorrow and pain. O turn while the Savior in mercy is waiting and steer for the harbor light. For how do you know but your soul may be drifting over the deadline tonight? We'll sing the first two verses and maybe uh, 509. Okay, 509. That's maybe tonight's hymn, 509. I love, I love my master. Yes, okay. I love, I love my master. I will not go out free, for he is my redeemer. He paid the price for me. I would not leave his service. It is so sweet and blessed. And in the weariest moments, he gives the truest rest. We'll sing the first two verses of this hymn, and we'll stand as we sing. Father, we pray that thou wouldst part us in thy blessing now. We pray that thou wouldst take us to our homes in safety. Watch over and be with us for Jesus' sake. Amen.